Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Podcast1.com or Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good to have you guys on board for another week. And wherever you're listening, however you're doing so, I greatly appreciate it. Coming up on a holiday weekend here in the U.S. with Labor Day and the big three-day weekend coming up. Hope everybody enjoys what is the unofficial end of summer. And man, did the time blow by, right? Like really quick. Like Before you know it, it's already fall and It'll be here soon. Leaves will be dropping, and we'll be talking about, at least here in the Northeast, dealing with snow. Crazy. Not looking forward to that. Anyway, a lot of stuff going on. A couple things I want to mention here at the top of the show, though, before we get to our interviews, which are a little different this week, which I'll tell you about as well. But I do want to send out a very, very uh, quick message of condolences to the friends and the fans and the family of Neil Cassell. Uh, Neil is not a guy that would be well known with my audience, which, which is traditionally a hard rock audience. But Neil was an old friend of mine that I've known for over 35 years growing up in New Jersey. When I first met him, he was a kid with a metal band in New Jersey. He went on to have great success as a singer, a songwriter, a guitar player worked with Ryan Adams, worked with Chris Robinson, had his own solo career of many, many records. Uh, Neil was a wonderful guy, a great guy, talented musician, talented photographer, the guy directly responsible for me having my first two books published because he connected me and suggested me to that publisher who at the time were doing books of his photography Neil Cassell, uh, dead at the age of 50 years old, it was revealed on Tuesday there. At the time I'm recording this, has not been an official cause of death announced yet, although at the time I'm recording this, several outlets have reported suicide. Uh, i just stunned by this news. I last spoke to Neil maybe a year ago. I last saw him maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, he was living in L.A. I, of course, still live in New Jersey. 
So it has just uh, been a real rough week for a lot of my friends. I, I met Neil when he used to come in a record store that I worked at in New Jersey. And me and a group of people, we all hung out and became friends as kids, like I said, over 35 years ago. And it's just uh, stunning, stunning news that came out this week. So I wanted to make mention of that at the top of the show. Also, uh, I want to mention coming up on September 6th, I'm going to jump around here to a few different things just to get all this out to you before we get to the interviews. I've got my uh, next appearance coming up on September 6th. I've gotten a lot of questions about this every time I do appearances. And uh, people ask me when I do these speaking shows what they entail and what they're in store for. When I do speaking shows, they're exactly that, folks. They're Q&As. We do some live stump the trunk. I tell some stories about rock. I tell you my story. Usually the promoters have some bands play. My next one is September 6th. It's in New Bedford, Mass. at the Vault Music Hall. Hope to see you if you're in that area of the country. Also coming up September 13th, I'll be at the Ideal Ballroom in Tulsa to host L.A. Guns. September 20th, Shawnee, Oklahoma. I'll be at the Fire Lake Arena to host Deep Purple, Pat Travers, and Joyous Wolf. And from there, Sammy Hagar's High Tide Beach Party. A lot of stuff going on in September. And then a lot of stuff going on in October. It's all on the homepage of my official online home, eddytrunk.com. Please be sure to follow on Twitter as well, at Eddie Trunk, Instagram, at Eddie Trunk, fan page on Facebook, also just simply at my name. Keep up with everything going on. Now, normally, every week I tell you that the interviews on the Eddie Trunk podcast originate from my Sirius XM radio show, which is live every day on volume channel 106, Trunk Nation, live 2 to 4 Eastern, replaying 9 to 11 Eastern. However, this week's podcast, that is not the case. Because the interviews you are about to hear originated from my TV show. And I'll tell you about that in a second. And I'll tell you about the great interviews we have. I have for you, which of course you probably know because you probably read it on the, you know, on the app or wherever you got the podcast from. But they are Joe Perry and Lou Graham. I'm going to get to them in a second. But first, I want to tell you about Liquid Death Mountain Water. I am a huge fan of drinking spring water. The number one drink I drink constantly is a ton of water, morning, noon, and night. Liquid Death Mountain Water. It is sourced and bottled in the Alps. Liquid Death's infinitely recyclable cans of stone-cold mountain water will instantly murder your thirst. And now, the Liquid Death obituaries. First one here is from Carly Cantor. Carly Cantor's thirst from Los Angeles, California. Carly's thirst was found chopped in half vertically on the front lawn of a friend's house party. Rest in pieces to Carly's thirst. Patrick Cook's thirst from Landenburg, Pennsylvania, was recently found in a shallow grave at a local campsite. Pat's friends and family were elated about the death of Pat's thirst because they say his thirst, quote, made him act like an asshole. And finally, Zach Greenberg's thirst was found decapitated on the floor of a local Denver heavy metal bark known as the Brutal Poodle. Mr. Greenberg stated that the memorial service will consist of him dancing alone on his thirst's grave. 
Well, that concludes this segment of the Liquid Death Thirst Obituaries. If you'd like to brutally murder your own thirst and maybe even get featured on the next segment, head over to liquiddeath.com slash trunk, T-R-U-N-K. They're offering listeners an exclusive 6.66% discount on 12 packs of Liquid Death Mountain Spring Water. That's liquiddeath.com slash trunk. I'm telling you, I've got the stuff here myself. I love water. It's really cool. It's in a can. It keeps it nice and cold. Fully recyclable. Liquiddeath.com slash trunk. Liquid Death Mountain Water. Murder your thirst. So, interviews. These originate from my Access TV show Trunk Fest, which is just about to wrap up its second season. I think there's one or two more new episodes to go. There's absolutely a new episode this Sunday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Access TV. Trunk Fest is me covering music events around the country, around the world. And I hope you guys have been checking it out. And please watch the newest episode, DVR it, this Sunday, 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific on Access TV. Now, if you watch Trunk Fest on Access TV, you probably see that I talk to a lot of artists in a lot of variety of music. I went to Vegas not long ago to do an episode at the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, which aired about a week ago on Access. One of the things that's always sucked for me doing artist interviews for TV is that they get severely edited, that I'll talk to a legendary artist for maybe 30 minutes, and in the TV show, they only end up airing about three minutes. That's haunted me my entire career because I love talking to these artists, and I wish people could see and hear everything I've done in TV instead of edited versions of it, but that's due to the time constraints. But my producer and the good folks at Access were willing to give me the raw audio of my interviews in Vegas from the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp with both Joe Perry of Aerosmith and Lou Graham, the original singer in Foreigner. So the audio you're about to hear on this week's uh, this week's podcast is exclusive to this podcast, this complete audio has not and will not be heard anywhere else, including on the radio show. This is the full, uncensored, full-length interview that Access TV for each of these interviews maybe showed three minutes of, but each one is about 20 minutes long. We'll get to Joe Perry first, who talks about Aerosmith's residency in Vegas, the Hollywood vampires, and a whole lot more. And I'll follow it with Lou Graham, a foreigner, who talks about the current version of the band reuniting with them and a new solo record he has coming out. So this is a great double dip this week. Two legendary artists, Joe Perry and Lou Graham, both done just a few minutes from each other backstage at Vinyl, which is a small venue in the Hard Rock in Vegas which was done around the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. So Joe Perry first, followed by Lou Graham. Exclusive audio heard nowhere else. The full-length interviews from my Access TV show Trunk Fest 
on this special Eddie Trunk podcast. Before we get to Joe Perry and then Lou Graham, I want to tell you about Pluto TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. Watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. Pluto TV, never ask for a credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV. You can download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. All right, we'll be right back. We'll start it with Joe Perry on the Eddie Trunk Podcast coming up. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, if you're looking for a great true crime series to binge, Podcast One has teamed up with WTOP to bring you 22 Hours, an American Nightmare. Check out the full story of a family and their housekeeper who were held hostage for 22 hours before being killed when the murderer set their mansion on fire. Then stay tuned for an exclusive Q&A with the reporters behind the show about their three-year-long journey for justice. Download 22 Hours, an American Nightmare, now on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Eddie Trunk here with you on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. As I mentioned, something special this week. These interviews originating from my Access TV show, Trunk Fest, the full-length uncensored interviews that I shot with Joe Perry and Lou Graham. First up, Joe Perry. It is always an enormous thrill for me when I can talk to anyone in Aerosmith. Some of these guys have become friends over the years, like Joe. We've done a lot of stuff over the years, and it's always an absolute thrill for me as a lifelong Aerosmith fan to spend some time talking to a true icon. This was done backstage uh, before Joe partook in the rock and roll fantasy camp. It was done shortly right around the time Aerosmith were getting ready to wrap up their residency. The first leg of it in Vegas, they'll be going back there for more. So let's get into it right now with Joe Perry of Aerosmith on the Eddie trunk podcast, courtesy of, of Trunk Fest on Access TV. Okay, we're backstage at Vinyl, and I am joined by, uh, well, needless to say, one of my favorite bands in the world. Anybody that knows me is Aerosmith and from Aerosmith. Joe Perry is here. Good to see you, Joe. How are you? Good. I'm great. And you are here at the Fantasy Camp as the feature artist. You've done these before? Have you done them? I have done it a few times. And you obviously enjoy it because you're back. Well, that's what... People tell me I've been here before, so yeah, I have. <laughs> they must have liked it, or else I wouldn't be back. Do you like it, though? What do you get out of it? Do you like uh, meeting these people that are obviously fans of yours, but also have a desire to be able to play your music? Well, I look at it more like just other, other musicians, you know, that are on the path trying to figure, figure it out, you know, just like I am. And uh, so it's a good chance to rub elbows in a kind of controlled Instead of like somebody coming up on the street with a guitar saying, show me how to play this. It's like, you know, it's a good setting for that. So once in a while, it's a it's a good way. You know what I mean? There's a lot of different ways to keep your keep your 
chops going and learn something new, and, and this is one for me. I know I've talked to some of the campers at the fantasy camp, and for them, it's inspirational to see a guy like you come by here, give them a few words of encouragement. Um, maybe they're very young or maybe even they're older. They're still just trying to get there in terms of music. When you were starting out playing guitar, were there some people around you that were very encouraging that gave you a, a, a vote of confidence? Mm, not really. No. Um, I lived in a really small town, yeah. and there weren't very many guitar players. Um, I played in the school band for like a minute, um, clarinet, and I didn't like that. I mean, for literally for a month, I, I was, you know, I, I probably played the thing about eight times. But uh, there was really no uh, nobody else in town, you know. And uh, so if you met somebody else with a pile of records under their arm that had, uh, you know, that looked like they came from England or uh, somebody with a guitar case, you know, you kind of had something to talk about, you know. Mm. It's just very different than it is today. Your parents encouraging when you wanted to start? And not guitar? so much, no. Not so much? No. The usual have the backup plan, it's not going to go anywhere conversation? I, it was never even uh, thought of as to do anything. Well, I mean, it was like either... I mean, you didn't do it for a career. I mean, no one yeah. thought of it like that, that yeah. you could actually make a living at it. And I didn't think so either. I mean, all I knew is that it was fun to do. And the few people, literally a handful of other friends, you know, the kids that were the real garage band thing, you know, I mean, and that was it. And as far as... Uh, uh, it being anything you would do like next year or in two years or in five years you didn't think that far ahead you know it was just about sitting down and playing and it feels good so you'll do it again it's that's ironic in and of itself because here we are in 2019 almost 50 years after Aerosmith so you've made a run out of it for sure and at the time we're doing this in Vegas I mean I know we're getting ready for rock and roll fantasy camp but you are on the second run of a residency that's happening here uh, in Las Vegas at the Park Theater. We, at the time we're taping, you're, as I mentioned, into the second month of it. How's it been going for you? What have you learned about it? Do you like it? Do you like Vegas? Tell me about the experience so far. Well, um, when we first started playing in Vegas, it was uh, at the uh, Thomas Mack Center, the, the big the big arena out, out of town, and it was pretty much the same. I mean, where it was more for local local people, you know, outside of the town. But then when we started playing on the strip at the uh, MGM, um, you know, where they have the the events, we started to get a taste of it um, because it was partly the people from local people and partly like the Las Vegas crowd. So. Um, we really didn't know what to expect when we came in here. You know, like I said, we were kind of, um, you know, talking to different people who have done it. You know, I know that the, the rock bands that have come in and done like, you know, two or three weeks, a month maybe. And uh, um, and what, I, what we saw was most bands would just kind of strip down their, their regular live show, bring in a little bit more production. And then we also saw, um, I mean, we, we looked at a lot of different shows. I mean, everything from Love to um, David Copperfield to, to every, other, every other choice of acts on the, on the strip. And we decided that 
if we were going to do this, we were going to make it be uh, not just if you want to see Aerosmith, but if you want to see a rock and roll band, you know, uh, and have that kind of music. It's like if you want to go to see um, the, the Love Show and see that the, the Beatles stuff taken apart and put together in a really amazing way, you go to that. If you want to see Magic, you go to see David Copperfield. If you want to go to a uh, Cirque du Soleil show, you, there's a couple of them, a number of them you can go to see. So we wanted it to be a little more than just uh, just for Aerosmith fans. You know, we, we wanted to have it so that even if you just had heard of us, you know, maybe you'd come and, and you'd be entertained. You know, and I think the whole thing is the learning process of of because uh, we wanted the main thing was keep the thing real rock and roll, but which it is put on a big a big show, and yeah. so it was like. That when that was uh, being put together, there was always a rub because like there was a lot of uh, computerized stuff to because there's just so many moving parts, you know, and there are like probably four or five different different areas of uh, people running things, you know, because there's so many, there's so much uh, like just moving moving parts, lights, all that stuff, um, and. Uh, and you know you just can't run it like a regular show. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, but like we did study some of the pop, pop acts and things like that. And since we don't have, uh, you know, sixteen dancers up there, and we probably never will, we thought that um, we would try a few things and uh, to make it, like, to bring up the level of the music itself. We realized the best thing we could do is just keep it stripped down to Aerosmith. I mean, yeah. we filled in a few things. We have a percussionist and a another background singer to, to uh, help fill it out, just something that we wouldn't be able to do on a, on a regular tour. But uh, what we realized over the uh, during the first run was that the more of, of the real essential Aerosmith we could give, the better the show was inside of that, you know, that... Um, the production around it, right. you know what I mean? Right. Like doing... Uh, and that's, you know, like playing some of the songs with all that in that setting right. just made it that much more entertaining and more entertaining for us because we realized that we could have be a lot looser a lot, lot like probably closer to how we would do like an afternoon gig in a club right you know that kind of loose well that that's what's crazy about it for me because i went the other night and it felt that way and i've been seeing you guys for for decades and that's what i was really happy about as a fan because it was a big production and incredible lights and stuff going on and toys in the attic, the inflatables and all that sort of stuff, which gave it that extra level for Vegas. But at its core, it was still a real raw rock band playing amazing songs and sounding great. So I was really glad that it didn't lose that. And it brought me back to remembering something because just before you started, I had sent you a text just wishing you well and good luck on on this run. Yeah. And you got back to me and, I, and you, you said something like, Thanks. This is either if this works, this is going to be really, really cool, or it's going to be the biggest disaster in rock and roll. You said something along those lines to me because I guess you guys were. This is really uncharted territory for you. You just weren't sure how it was all going to feel. Well, not just us, but no one. Uh, I don't know of any other band that's put that kind of production. You know, rock and roll. I mean, right. obviously the pop bands and the, have have done really well here. You know. Um, and uh, but that you know like really choreographed stuff and that that's you know 
it's really entertaining to, yeah. to that kind of music, you know. But uh, but the thing was mixing the, you know, how how loose we can get it and have it be. And we started to see what was reacting. It reminded me of when Elvis would uh, was first starting, um, and he didn't know he didn't know how to. You know his moves, all those classic moves. You know he didn't know anything about that. He had to write the book, so he was. Uh, you hear stories all the time where he said, you know, like when he wiggle his finger and he could hear the the girls cheer a little bit, and he go, "Well, I think I'll do that every night." And uh, when he would he would like do some of his his just move around a little bit, and you know, and then he would exaggerate it and realize that was so. That's how he built his repertoire of you know. Just beyond singing, you know. Um, I mean, Elvis sitting on a stool all night just wouldn't have done it, no matter what how good the songs were. But you know, he was a very uh, physical, physical act, you know. And, and he, but he had to learn it himself. So it's kind of what we're going through now, figuring out how much uh, of our of ourselves we can throw out there on the stage, and. Um, and it's actually pretty amazing what we can get away with. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it, actually, we're having a lot of fun doing that because now we've, we've, some of that, what we thought we were going to have to do for a Las Vegas audience um, is we don't have to do. And, and some of the stuff that we would really do naturally is pretty much what seems to be entertaining people. Yeah, it's awesome. It's Aerosmith being Aerosmith just kind of like supercharged a little bit for Vegas. It's just, it's incredible. The other thing that I've noticed in talking to people who have gone to previous shows is that and it's something a lot of bands don't do, especially at your level with the production you have going on, and that is you change songs in and out of the set list, at least maybe three or four on any given gig, which is great for people who are going to go to the residency to know because if you go to multiple nights, there's a chance you're going to see some different songs. I imagine it's daunting trying to figure out how do you make a set list out of your catalog at this point. But what goes into that? What goes into what the band decides you're going to play on any given night on a residency? Um, there's always a, a kind of a battle. I mean, we know we have to we figure out, you know, first who, who's in the audience, you know. And we know that there's there are going to be... Um, people who know Aerosmith and who are fans and then there are other people that may have heard of us not not real familiar with the music so we're kind of uh, um, it's it's wide open I mean if you, it depends on how, how you want to look at it if you want to like really figure out like 20% of people from out of town 15% are from Abu Dhabi you know there's some from Boston there's some from uh, Houston and uh, when was the last time we played Houston and what was the set list I mean, you can go in and really drive yourself crazy. And people who are the old school guys like me that know all the 70s stuff, and then people who maybe only discovered the band with permanent vacation who are younger. So you've got that, them being in there and seeing that audience. I mean, you see everything from kids to, to you know, older people. It's, it, it, it's really, I mean, I guess it's a good problem to have. Well, it's probably the toughest thing that we put ourselves through. I mean, it's we could probably make it a lot easier than we do, but it's really the thing that we spend as much time doing that before a show as anything else. And, you know, uh, with the production being what it is, you can't just throw any song in there and tell 
the crew, listen, we're going to put this one in there, and you know they go, well, we have we have no lights set up for that. We have nothing, and to keep it, you know, the the, the quality of the show consistent. So it's kind of like. Um, we have a short list of songs that um, that we would really like to play and we'll get to that have that have the show behind it and have certain a certain look or certain things happen, and then there are other songs that other slots in the set where we know it's like kind of a we can hopefully throw something in there that we haven't uh, thought of doing. You know, it's it's uh, it's probably the, the what what. Uh, we spend the most time doing at this point, making sure that we get the right balance, and we're also finding we have a little more freedom there than we thought. You know. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, as, a, as an old school fan who knows every song, every record, I've always appreciated the fact because you guys could easily come into Vegas with the amount of hits you have and do a two-hour show of nothing but hit singles, hit videos, and the fact that you still will go and throw in seasons of Wither or moving out, or chip away, or something like that, for, for guys, or, or kings and queens, or last child, or whatever, for, for guys like me, you know, that because that's going to cost a hit to be put on the shelf for that show, so you can't play forever. It, it means the world to, to us hardcore fans that you guys are, you're willing to do that for the for the faithful. It's awesome, it really is. Well, it's, it's fun for us, too, I have to say. I mean, we love playing those songs, and Sometimes we'll leave it, we'll slip one in as a as an audible, you know, like like we played moving out a couple of I think it was during the last leg and right near the end, Stephen and I were just talking into the microphone together and I started playing it and he started singing it and so we did did about half of it, you know, and so there are some songs we can actually do like that and. Maybe if the band remembers it, we'll get all the way through it. But uh, <laughs> but even that is. I mean, if I was in the audience, I would find that entertaining. Totally. It's you know? real. I mean, there's so little real live rock and roll anymore. It's and, and to see that, and who cares? You play half the song. You play a little taste of it. It's fun. It's fun for you guys. It's fun for the audience. I know we can't keep you too long because we are here at a fantasy camp. I got a lot of things to, to get to, and I know you do as well. But I do want to ask you about a record that just came out. Uh, that you're a, a big part of, and that's a new Hollywood Vampires record. And you also have done some, you know, I know a couple gigs there and some TV appearances. How how are you feeling about the record? Um, I really like it. I mean, I think it's the best record that I've been involved with um, for a long time. I mean, uh, not counting the solo record that I just did. Haven't even had a chance to, to uh, really pump that you know like we were talking about we did the one, that one gig where we played the whole record and right. uh i just haven't had i went right from from writing writing and and finishing that that album right into working on the vampires record and i did i had time to do like two shows behind the solo record so i never really pushed that you know yeah. it just came out but um uh, I, I really like that record a lot too, but um, it's just it's just out there, like all the other music. But, um, but the Vampires record, um, we wrote it from the point of view of how it was going to be to play this stuff live, you know, and have it fit in with all of our personalities. And uh, we played some some of the songs um, in the during the European tour, and they even though people never heard them, they went down pretty well. But uh, this, we did this um, um, lightning 
tour. I think we did seven, seven or eight shows in nine days. Um, not in Vegas. I mean, in different different cities. Right. You know. So um, that that's a that's a handful for anybody. And uh, you know, Alice is amazing. He's he's like every night he's on. You know, he's incredible. And uh, to be able to sing night after night like that. But uh, we have a great time with that. And that band is, I mean, that band is stunning. I mean, uh, we're in that because we, you know. We've all been friends. We all know each other, have known each other, and it's probably as close to a garage band as you're going to get because we got together because we're, we're friends. Right. But we just happen to be players, you know. And you know, I like to think we're pretty good and uh, able to get the songs across. I mean, none of I don't consider any of us like fucking virtuosos or anything <laughs> like that. But all that matters is we get the songs across, and there's a this, the album is, is is pretty deep too. With the uh, um, if you get into the lyrics, there's a lot of uh, a lot went into those, into the emotion of uh, and the, the anxiety of what goes on in the world, and I think it comes through in, the, in those songs. I mean, the, the the song "Rise" is a it's a real political song. You know, it's a fun song to sing along to. You can we play it for people, play it and. By the end of the song, people are singing along to it. Mm-hmm. But if you, when you start reading the lyrics and you know, figure out who we're singing about, you realize it's a little deeper than just a, a fun song to have a gang sing. You know. One more, one more quick, quick thing on the vampires. Everyone in the band is known as being musicians, and their history as a musician. The one guy that's not is Johnny Depp. But interesting in talking to people since he's been doing the vampires. They told me that long before he was an actor, his whole trip was being a musician growing up in Florida. People I know in Florida said they would see him play in the club. So I think a lot of people's perception would be, okay, here's this you know, massive popular actor. But his, his core really is about music and being a musician. Can, can you talk a little bit about that, about him as a, as a player and how you guys work together? Because... I think a lot of people just look at that as, oh, that's an actor getting his kicks, but he really is a music guy in his core. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, um, and it's interesting to um, to see the audience react, you know, when he comes out. You know, of course, he's, he's you know, hugely recognizable. I mean, he's one of the top, you know, just top actors in the world, you know, as far as, like, fame and, and you know, his success and the movies he's done. And so there's a there is that that amount of that. But when we get out there and we play, and you know, he starts. He, I mean, he's just playing. He isn't reacting to the to that other stuff, you know. And uh, that's his day job, where he considers it. And uh, yeah, he's a musician from the, from the start. I've lived um, pretty close to him in L.A. and uh, like next door, actually. And um, I've seen him work. You know, and he, he he recognizes you've got an incredible gift for acting, and he respects that. I mean, the guy works his ass off when he's working at that, but when he comes home, he puts a guitar on, and uh, and that's uh, that's the thing. I mean, when I first saw Chocolat, the movie he was in there, and he played the the, the Django Reinhardt stuff, 
and I saw it was really him playing. I said, you know, if I ever meet that guy, you know, I'm going to ask him about some of that, you know, where he picked that up. And and I got to meet him, uh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, and um, we've been friends ever since, but we just talk about music. I never met an actor through him. Yeah. Except for when I went, went to the set for, um, you know, the Whitey Bulger movie, and right. uh, I watched him do a couple of nights there, and... Uh, and I met some of the guys who were in the movie. But other than that, I just meet musicians through them. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, this show is about music festivals. And although Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp is not a traditional festival, it's a music event. But I want to just get one thing from you on festivals. Because Aerosmith, over the decades, have and continue to play festivals all over the world. I was at one you did in Brazil about seven, eight years ago called Monsters of Rock. I had the honor of intro and the band at that it was just incredible do you have a favorite festival moment that jumps out at you and all the festivals you've done is there one that still resonates and really stands out a festival story you could share with the audience or even if maybe it's one that went horribly wrong that you're okay talking about but do you have anything that jumps out about any festival in all your decades that you played well there's always you know there's always something that goes on at those things because they never go how people plan them. But um, uh, I don't know how many years ago it was, but we went and we did this. We had this weekend when we were going to play the Marquee Club in London and then um, play Donington, the festival, you know, which has been going on there for, for forever. And uh, and Jimmy Page was going to sit in with us. So we, we did the show at the Marquee Club with Jimmy and uh, for the sound check what was about four hours of just playing Yardbird songs, Zeppelin songs, a few Aerosmith songs. And uh, for us that was you know, that was pretty pretty fucking amazing. And then uh, then we went to Doddington. We went out he came on rode on the bus with us out there. And there was an air show going on, like right near there. There's a there's a uh, big airfield. I think it's partly military, partly commercial. But um, um, Jimmy came up and played with us there too. We came. I think we did a couple of songs. I don't remember. Do you remember what we played with him on that on that show? Train. So as we were walking back to the dressing room, um, the Concord took off. Um, back when they had the Concorde and it was part of the air show and it took off and flew right over our heads like just when we walked off the stage and I thought that we were loud I mean <laughs> that thing is, was screaming and it was just there's nothing you couldn't plan something like that to have that thing and you know I mean it's gone they just couldn't keep that thing in the air you know it's too expensive but um, back when it was flying it was pretty amazing and uh, to have it fly over our heads right when we walked off the stage after playing with Jimmy I remember that <laughs> alright last thing I gotta get involved in this camp they tell me I'm gonna get a lesson I may even be jamming in one of the bands you're doing why I do this Joe and have done this for so long is because I have zero musical ability can't play anything no rhythm can't sing any tip for me that I should uh, know it doesn't matter if you have fun doing it, then you are it. I mean, people tell me all the time, you know, well, 
I don't know anything about music, or I'm not I'm not a guitar player yet, or or, and it's like any other art. I mean, as soon as you want to do it, if you want to be a photographer, the minute you pick up a camera and start taking pictures, you're a photographer. You know, you you're on the path to getting better at doing what you do, what you what you like doing, and it, that's the way it is with any art. I think people. Um, uh, diminish, diminish the uh, um, uh, the importance of it um, because they're comparing themselves to people who have, you know, made a living at it and you know have become, you know, up in, in stature and, and do what they they do. But um, um, I think any one of them would agree that it's. Uh, um, that you are it once you once you want to do it. It's not a matter of how good you get. So the first thing I say when people say that is like, you are a guitar player. As soon as you pick up the guitar, if you want to play it, you're play, you're a guitarist. You know, you're just in a different place in the path. That's all. Well, I'm going to test that theory shortly, Joe. Thank you. The real deal, folks. If you come to Vegas, see Aerosmith. The same five guys that started it all. Still wipe the floor with anybody. An incredible show. And uh, I can't thank you enough for the time. And Thanks. have a great time at the Fantasy Camp. And uh, I'll see you out there. Maybe I'll play a little tambourine or something like that. Whatever, man. <laughs> Joe Perry, everyone. Well, be sure to go see the Aerosmith Residency if you can when it goes back to Vegas. It is absolutely stellar. And thanks to Joe for making the time. Glad I could bring you that uncensored full-length interview, which in the TV show you only saw a few minutes of. All right, we'll come back and we will spend some time, same deal, from the Access show, talking to Lou Graham, the original voice of Foreigner, one of the great singers of all time. That's next. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, if you're looking for a great true crime series to binge, Podcast One has teamed up with WTOP to bring you 22 Hours, an American Nightmare. Check out the full story of a family and their housekeeper who were held hostage for 22 hours before being killed when the murderer set their mansion on fire. Then stay tuned for an exclusive Q&A with the reporters behind the show about their three-year-long journey for justice. Download 22 Hours, an American Nightmare, now on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Right now, I'd like to get into our second interview on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. As mentioned, it's with Lou Graham, the original singer of Foreigner. For my money, one of the greatest vocalists ever in rock music. It was great seeing Lou. I heard him sing a little bit during the fantasy camp. He truly did sound really good. He's been through a lot health-wise, seems in good spirits. And as you're about to hear in the interview, maybe we'll get some more Lou Graham foreigner stuff somewhere in the near future. Here's Lou Graham from my Access TV show, Trunk Fest. Enjoy. I'm now backstage at the venue Vinyl in the Hard Rock in Vegas, and the rehearsals for the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp have just wrapped up, and now the big show is tonight. One of the feature attractions for these campers is the opportunity to jam with, I have said this so many times, truly one of the great voices rock has ever heard, the one and only Mr. Lou Graham. Lou, 
It's an honor. My honor, sir. Great Thank to you. see you. How are you? I'm doing real well. Thanks. Do you you have some history with Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp? I, I believe. Did I hear you did the very first one? I sure did. What was that like? It was it was quite a few years ago, and it was. It, it didn't run quite as smoothly as these are running, but it, it was uh, a lot of fun, and there was a lot of spontaneity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, there, there were, were really good uh, musicians, and, and, and the campers were all ages. It was a, a, a serious cross-section, and, and uh, you know, it, w- it was a lot of fun. It, 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 it uh, you know, it, like I said, it, it didn't run uh, smoothly from, from one segment to the other, but but uh, I think everybody embraced the fact that it was the first one, yeah. and there were going to be a few bumps. Right, right. For you, what what is the appeal of doing something like this? What do you most enjoy about it? I, I enjoy um, being on stage with with, uh, with musicians at all levels of talent that 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 uh, could only could only dream of of of. Uh, being on stage with, with a musician or a singer that has achieved some kind of success, right. and, and uh, I, I really embrace the opportunity to do that because because uh, you know it, it it keeps their dream alive. I think. Yeah, and that's an interesting point that we should make about Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp is that there are musicians of all different levels of ability here. There's people that come in like I, I can't play a note of anything, and they sign up. And then there's people that are, are pretty accomplished and pretty good at what they do. They just maybe haven't achieved any success. So seeing how that all meshes together is pretty interesting. Isn't it is. It? There, uh, one, one of the bands, uh, one of the last bands that came up, there were, uh, there were two girls, I think uh, 13 and 15, and, and they had been playing their guitars for about eight months. Oh, wow. You know, and, and, and uh, I looked over to them while we were playing, and, and it was, uh, you know, they were having fun, but they were... They were uh, just slightly mesmerized. You know? Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's fascinating to see how the the age groups. You've got people who are, you know, some have done quite well in other businesses, yes. and they're just here to get their kicks and have their fun. You better believe it. And then I've met some people out there that were, you know, very young that are trying to, you know, still go for it. Yes. They want to try to make yep. it, and they want maybe a little bit of that uh, magic potion that you have to rub off on, well, right? You, you, you know, I, I mean. I, I wouldn't want anybody to, to, to continue to try and make it at, at the expense of, of ruining their life. Right. You know, it, it, you know I mean, it could disrupt marriages and, and, uh, and make problems for, for a father or a mother with their children, you know. But, but uh, the, 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 the fun part of it is their dream is still alive, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I love that. Yeah. Let's go back to when you were a young guy trying to figure it all out and try to make it. Did you have any inspirational figures coming up for you that sort of gave you the encouragement you needed or maybe people that you, you saw or had a chance to jam with that really kind of gave you a little Well, I'm going to date, date myself a little bit, but, but I, I did see the Beatles on Ed Sullivan show. Uh-huh. And, and uh, after I saw them, after the first time they were on Ed Sullivan show, after they finished the song, I turned to my father and I said, that's what I'm going to do with my life, Dad. And he looked at me and he says, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> so that was discouragement, really, in a way. Yes, it was from him because he was a musician. He played trumpet. He had his own big band, and my mom was the singer. Right. And, and in, the, in the mid and late 40s, when, when, when he was going with his band, it was next to impossible to, to, 
for for a for a uh, you know a guy right out of high school with his band to to achieve big success. You know, so so he he was more or less saying that the odds are against me, and he and he always told me at some point he says if you want to if you want to try and achieve success in your music. That's fine, but make sure you get a college degree. You need something to back you up in case, Have a backup plan. In case that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Were there musicians that you came across on your way up that were very uh, inspirational to you or that maybe helped you or assisted you or gave you just even maybe some words of encouragement when things didn't look so good? Was there anybody that, that was really helpful to you in that way? Well, um, I, I, can't, I can't think of anybody who... who who, who talked to me and encouraged me, but but I mean there there were there were people that I managed to see see uh, live and 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 uh, listen to their albums till they wore out, and and a lot of times in the liner notes you can you can read into what people's uh, deeper thoughts were about how, how they achieved success, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, I mean I was I was a big Big, big fan of uh, Aretha Franklin and, and Marvin Gaye mm-hmm. and the Beatles. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, there, there were a number of, of uh, artists and groups that, that influenced me. Uh, um, and, and uh, you know, tr- trying, trying to, to be successful out of, out of Rochester, New York is no picnic, mm-hmm. you know. Um, my, my, my band, Black Sheep, Got a record deal with Capitol Records, and we recorded two albums. And after our second album, we were set to be the opening act for the Kiss tour. Mm-hmm. And and we were hoping that 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 kind of situation would break us, you know, to the public, be, be, make us make us break into the uh, top forty. And, right. But but after our first show, uh, uh, it was Christmas Eve. Our, mm-hmm. our truck. Slid off the highway and tipped over, Oof. destroying all of our equipment. Destroyed the truck, and and uh, the record company wouldn't wouldn't uh, give us enough money to to get going again. And and when Kiss heard about it, they they replaced us with another band. Oh wow! And then a month later, this guy named Mick Jones called. Yeah. And that and the rest is fate, really. It was fate that he called. Yeah, yeah. It's truly, uh, and the rest is foreigner history, of course. Yes, it is. And it's a, it's a remarkable history. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on now, because you have gotten up and done some stuff with the band, and there's been some reunions with the original lineup yes, of the band. Yes, yes. How's the, that been for you? It's been it's been sensational. Yeah. You know, uh, there, there were a few of the guys that 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 uh, 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 stopped playing. Uh, after you know, and, and um, when when uh, the the talk of a reunion w- was brought up, and everybody was excited about it, I, I I was worried that if we played live, their deficiencies would would show, you know. But we we had about three or four months from the time we decided to play till the time we actually played, and the guys who hadn't played dug up their equipment and started practicing. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think that first show as a reunion, they sounded better than they ever did when the band was together. Wow. 
So, so I mean, you never know. You right, know? right. And, it, and it was I'm, something I know that excited a lot of fans, the opportunity to see you out there doing some songs again. Yes, and, and uh, you know, we I think we did four or five shows together, and we're supposed to do, I think we're supposed to do the same again starting in October. Does it amaze you, the music that you made with Foreigner and that you helped create and that you, of course, sang, that the way that it has endured and, and stood the test of time to the point that, you know, being honest, a, a lot of Foreigner shows in recent years have, it's, it's been well documented, has technically included no original members when Mick doesn't play. And That's still th that music endures with those guys playing it still. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very, very proud of the music. And, and uh, Mick and I, right off the bat, were, were, were a very potent and creative writing team. And uh, that 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 didn't stop for for years and years, and and I, I understand that uh, when when uh, we stopped performing together, that that he still had the itch to keep keep a band going. So he started he started the current version of Horner, and I understand that. I, I can't say I'm thrilled with it, but but I understand it. Uh, so, so so by having the original band on stage would. The current band as kind of uh, uh, um, gives gives the audience there's a large portion of the audiences I think that that may have never heard the original band right you know because it's been a while which is why it's great that you're able to represent it at least in spurts even at some point yes so that yes. people can see where it really all came from yep and and, and uh, by by the by the response that that the original band has received uh, at the live shows, uh, I, um, I I was was kind of stunned when we finished our last song and and the the applause was thunderous and people got out of their seats. Uh, I did not expect that. Yeah, yeah. What do you personally um, from Foreigners catalog enjoy s still singing? Are there a few, like here we are at Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, and I was talking to some of the campers out there, and they were saying, I said, well, what song do you get to play? And they said, well, we're doing Hot Blood. And I said, well, what if the next guys want Hot Blood? And they said, well, I guess we have to do it twice. Lou has to do it twice. <laughs> so everyone's jockeying for position because there's so many great songs, but of course there's those two or three that I'm sure everybody wants to dig into. Yeah, I think I think there were uh, uh, a couple songs that we played three or four times tonight. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Do you enjoy it? Do you have fun I, with it? I, I do. I do enjoy it. You know, um, uh, you know. I, I think the the way I sang it on the record represented the record. It was just fine. But but over the years of playing live, I've I've uh, moved the phrasing a little bit and maybe changed the melody just slightly. You know, to to to, to make the song more palatable for me. And and I I know the audience. Enjoys it. I, I haven't changed anything that that they've been waiting to hear. You know, just just little things, and and um, it, it it helps me keep my interest in the song when when I can continue to create even even though the song is twenty years old. You know? Right, or or much more actually. Uh, I want to ask you. You know, talking about continuing to create these these amazing timeless songs that you had a hand in creating 
that was recognized recently by the Songwriters Hall of Fame, where yes, you was. and Mick were inducted into that. That had to be an incredible moment it for you. It was an incredible moment. Uh, uh, I was I was stunned when I got the phone call that we were nominated. You know, and I was I was on the edge of my seat for about six weeks before before I heard that we were being inducted, and and it was it was. Uh, it was incredible not only to, to hear that we were being inducted, but when I flew to New York to to rehearse the songs that we were going to sing, that's the first time I'd seen Mick in, in over a dozen years. Wow. Wow. Now let's, you don't have to say this, but I'm going to say this. Now that the Songwriters Hall of Fame did the right thing, we need the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to get its head out of its ass and get this guy and Mick and Foreigner in where you are long overdue to be in. Does that bother you at all that you have yet to be nominated? I mean, it's, to me, you're one of the biggest snubs currently and have been for a long time. I know as fans we get worked up about that, but as you, the artist, how, do you, how does it make you feel? Well, I know that there's other bands that should be there that, that aren't there either, and, and uh, there, there really isn't a lot you can do about it. You, you, you know, I, I'm not going to let it eat me up. Right. Uh, um, uh, and I think, personally, and, and Mick thinks this way too, that 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 there's 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 something uh, uh, deeper than than the talent that's keeping us out of there. there. There's somebody or or a few somebodies that that just don't want us in there, yeah. you know. And they're making sure we don't get in there. And I, and I don't know who it is, and it, and I can't do anything about it, so I just live with it. That's all. Well, I can tell you, I'm a voter. And I'm pushing every year for you and get awesome. you on that ballot. So one of these days, sooner than later, we got to make sure that that happens. Now, before I, uh, I wrap up, I want to ask you about what you have going on currently, because, of course, we're here at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You've got it's great that you're, you're dipping back into the foreigner world every once in a while, doing some shows with those guys. But I know, you know, you've, of course, done solo records. You, you continue to tour. Yes. What, what, what do you have coming Eddie, up? Eddie, let me interrupt you there. Where, where the Hard Rock Casino? You said you were at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I did? Yes. Oh, my God. What a weird foot that was. You're okay. You're okay. Okay. God, thank you. God, it's on my mind. I'm so worked up about it. <laughs> okay, so I'll pick it up. So, so we're here at the, uh, of course, the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp here at the Hard Rock, and you're doing this, and you dip your toe every once in a while back into the foreigner waters, mm-hmm. playing with those guys. But you've done solo records. You've done a lot of other things. What do you have coming up? Well, I'm, I'm uh, honestly, uh, I'm going to pretty much stop stop touring at the end of this year. Uh, I, I've disbanded my band. I'm, I'm playing uh, with with Asia. They 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 have a thing where they do some of their songs. Then they have two or three guest singers. Oh wow! Yeah, and and so so I do that with Dee Snyder. And Sebastian Bach oh, okay. lately, uh, and that's a lot of fun. And uh, you know, it, it it's it's not not nearly as exhausting as, as full on touring. You know, I go out uh, two or three times a month, and and then I'm home with my family, which which I love. Uh, but I I have, you know, the 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 solo recordings that I did. Um, you know, there there were usually ten songs. On the album, we usually recorded twelve or thirteen, and okay. we and we picked the ten that were the most finished. So what I've done lately is I've dug back into those master tapes and listened to the other two or three that weren't finished, 
And some of them are, are really good songs. So I'm finishing them up. And uh, it turns out between, between uh, my two solo albums and a few other things that I have, I have almost 10 songs. Got a record. Yeah. So, so what I'm doing is, what I plan on doing is putting three of them out at a time uh, available for downloading. Okay. And then after, after a few months, I'll put another three out and then another three out. And then I'll, I'll assemble all of them and, and put out an album. Complete record. That's correct. Okay, great. What do you think, do you think about that idea? I, I like it. I'm old school. I want records. I still love CDs the best. I love yep. just give me a disc with I 10, love the running songs. order. Sequence. Yep. Go on uh, that journey. The la- I love the, the last, liner notes. The last song on the first side is always a kicker because right. then you turn it over. Right, right. So one there's way, a, but there's I a whole, whole mentality to right. it. Right. You know? I understand the... the, the logic of doing it the way you're doing it but I always tell my friends who do records like that I'm like let me know when you have a nice one nice disc to give me and I got it all the way you wanted in the sequence mastered that way but that's me I know we're in a different world musically things yeah, have changed uh, so uh, much uh, the way people get I'm, music I'm trying to to uh, to to kind of uh, uh, appeal to the way things are are, are being done now spoon feed people a yes bit. that's correct. I think that's I think that's the good part about it because I do think that people are so overwhelmed because you know better than anybody. It used to be back in the day. You got a record deal, and it was this huge accomplishment, and that was the way you got music out. Now I, I tell young people all the time: the good news is anybody can put out music. That's the right. bad news is anybody can put out music. Yes, and it, it floods the marketplace, and it makes it a little hard to stand out. So I think that that's a great idea for for getting as long as it ultimately results in a finished product. I think is one thing. Oh, it definitely will. It yeah. definitely will. Yeah. So uh, not too much live stuff, but uh, some dabble, dabbling with some things, and then this will come out. And, and speaking of live, I've got to ask you, because the whole show that I'm doing is about music festivals. Mm-hmm. Now, even though Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp is not a traditional music festival, it's a music event, but going back to festivals over the decades whether it be with Foreigner or any other band, you must have played a, a lot of music festivals. Oh, a huge amount, in the States and, and throughout the world. So do you have a story or anything that stands out, a favorite moment or anything that stands out that you could share with the audience, or maybe a, a least favorite moment, something that went horribly wrong about a music festival? I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there, were, there were a few things that... Well, uh, this, here's a good one for you. We, we played... When we were first, Foreigner was first, uh, uh, bar- barely a, a year old as a band. We, we put out our first album, and, and um, we, we had uh, some success with, uh, with, with Feels Like the First Time and had a lot of album airplay. That, those were the, that was the time of people spinning. Album-oriented rock. That's A-O-R. correct, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, we were asked to to be the opening act at at Day on the Green. That's in the Bay Area, right? Yes, as a Bill Graham Bill Graham production. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was Fleetwood Mac, the Eagles, it was Steve Miller. It was a huge, huge festival, and they wanted us to open open the show at eight o'clock in the morning. Oh. So we got there about quarter seven, and the doors were going to open at quarter after seven. Wow. And Bill Graham came into our dressing room and asked Mick and I to join him. So 
he walked with us to the stage. Our equipment was all set up. We walked up on the stage, and he was looking at his clock, talking to us. And at quarter after eight, the big doors opened, and people were running into really? the running into the stadium to get their their favorite spot. And and in the first two or three minutes, we saw thousands and thousands of people on 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 the on the uh, the, the ground floor and starting to fill up the seats, you know. And 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 he turned and he says, "Did you enjoy that?" And, and Mick and I were just stunned that there would be that many people that early. Yeah, to to see that, you you you, you never think about that or. You know the first people that that actually get in and stuff. Right. You know, but it, it was it was com- so so different than I imagined. You know, and the most I would imagine people that are there that early, you know, rushing to get in like that, those are the most passionate fans. Yes, they are. So you're getting them fresh. You know, you're you're getting first shot at them. So 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 we went on. We played our set, and 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 we we were we were walking off the stage, and people were still clapping and cheering. And and we we looked over at at at, at Bill Graham who was who was you know watching from from the side from the uh, the wings, and he, he he looked at us and he says, "Answer your encore, go play one more," and and we were kind of huddled up, we didn't have anything more to play. Right, only one record. Yeah, so at the time that that we performed in that concert, we were just finishing Hot Blooded in the studio. So, so the music was done, and I had one verse of Hot Blooded. So we, we went up on stage and played Hot Blooded, and I sang the same verse three times. <laughs> and, and we rocked the house. They went bananas for it. And, and two or three days later, we released it as a first single. Oh, wow. They're trying to play a little cold as ice out there right now. I could definitely hear that. Uh, they're, they're, they're getting ready to go here and, and get ready to, uh, to perform. I know you got the big performance tonight with the campers. And uh, I got to tell you, honestly, it's a, it's a thrill to talk to you. I'm a, I said it before, what you did, the music you made and the vocals that you recorded are timeless. And it's so great to see you. I know you've been through a lot yes. health-wise. It's so great to see you healthy and singing so well. Uh, I'm... I'm, I'm feeling very good. I've been blessed. Good. Very now, good. one last thing for me. I don't have an ounce of musical talent, can't play anything, can't sing anything, never could. That's why I do this, because I'm frustrated, never could play. So I'm going to get a little lesson at the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. Any tip that I should, you know, what, what do I need to know before I go? If there's anything you could share with me. Are you playing? Me. Are you singing? What are you doing? I think they're going to try to teach me how to play something. I can't sing. I don't think anybody would want to hear that, Lou. You're gonna I play, wish I could. Going to play bass, maybe. They, they said they're going to give me crack a guitar, bass, and I think if all fails, I'll just grab a tambourine. There you go. I that's think, it. I Is think, that the advice? I think that's the advice. Stay <laughs> or with, cowbell. Stay with the tambourine and a cowbell. You can't lose that. That's way. it. Great advice from one of the all-time greats, Lou Grant. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so Appreciate much. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, great to talk to Lou. Hopefully, we'll be able to do more with him somewhere in the very near future and uh, maybe have him on uh, an upcoming episode of the podcast again when he gets some of that new music out, or maybe even do something with him on, of course, my radio show, Trunk Nation, which is heard every day on volume. These interviews this week, usually our interviews come from that. These interviews originating from my Access TV show. Again, Trunk Fest, Sunday nights, 930 Eastern, a new episode this Sunday. Please be sure to check it out and DVR it. 
and it would be greatly appreciated. And thanks to Access for letting me share that audio with you, the uncensored full-length interviews with both Joe Perry and, as you just heard, Lou Graham. That's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to Katie Irizarry, who puts it all together and is the producer. Uh, Thanks to you guys, most of all, for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddietrunk.com, the official online home. You can get my terrestrial radio show on demand if you're an all-access member. All of my appearances are on the homepage. Like I said, next one's September 6th, New Bedford, Mass, Vault Music Hall for a speaking Q&A show. September 13th, hosting L.A. Guns in Tulsa. September 20th, Deep Purple, Pat Travers, Joyous Wolf, Shawnee, Oklahoma at the Fire Lake Arena. Keep an eye on the site. Keep an eye on the Twitter for all the info and updates. I'll see you guys next Thursday for another all-new episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.